Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show, and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Haddock Sport Performance. Is your training making you better on the field? Haddock Sport Performance provides a complete strength and conditioning experience. With over five years of experience at the elite international level and a global group of athletes, they have come to appreciate that training is a partnership. And with HSP, their goal is to provide each athlete with a truly personal and unique training experience. They work tirelessly with you to get to know you as a person and athlete, and together, build a plan for you to be your best in competition. If you are investing in your own success, then they're here to support you. To know more about their methods and philosophy, head to haddocksportperformance.ca or get a look at their day-to-day by checking out HSP on Instagram. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to episode 6 of the podcast. Today's guest is Orion Edwards. Orion is a brakeman for the Team Canada bobsled team. Prior to being on the national team, Orion played defensive back for the Guelph Griffins. He won a Yates Cup with the Griffins in 2015, was named an OUA All-Rookie Selection in 2013, and an East-West Bowl All-Star in 2016. He was an academic All-Canadian in 2016-2017, and was invited to the CFL Regional Combine. Here is my interview with Orion Edwards. Orion, thanks for coming on the show today. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great, man. I'm blessed. I'm I'm excited to be on your show, bro. I was honest, honored to uh, when he asked me to come on, so I'm like I'm super excited. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to have you on. You have a very interesting story, and your background is quite diverse. So that's what we want to talk about first here. Uh, how did you get to where you are today with the national team in bobsledding? That's definitely not the sport you started with as a kid, but you're here now doing it. Tell the listeners at home how you got here. Yeah, so how did I get to uh, being a bobsledder? All, before I was a bobsledder, my first sport that I, I played mainly was, uh, was football. I played 10 years of football, starting when I was 14 years old until I was around 23, 24 years old. I played five years at the University of Guelph, graduated. I was, ex- I was invited to the CFL Combine. I actually ended up choosing a different route and became a, a campus missionary for Athletes in Action, which is a faith-based organization that helps athletes bring faith and sport together. So I went over to actually move to Seattle, Washington, which is the West Coast. I was at the University of Washington. I was mentoring uh, young athletes and, and uh, student athletes there, and it was an amazing experience. But while I was there, I realized kind of two things. One, that I didn't want to play football anymore because uh, that was kind of in the plan that I was going to keep training I'd uh, go to open trout for the CFL and, and uh, kind of walk onto the team. And then the second thing I realized was that since I didn't want to play football anymore, that I actually had a lot of athletic potential left over and I wanted to do something with it. So to kind of rewind a little bit, when I actually tore my ACL at the University of Guelph when I was at the East-West Bowl, uh, CIS East-West Bowl All-Star Game. Uh, it was actually just during one of the practices, and I told my ACL, got surgery June 28th, 2016, 
and I had my sister with me, who's a who's a nurse, and we were just hanging out, and she was kind of she was kind of low key taking care of me a little bit, making sure I was all right. And we were hanging out that night after surgery, and uh, we were watching uh, Cool Runnings on Netflix. And being Jamaican, yeah, <laughs> yeah, being Jamaican heritage and everything, it's a movie we saw before, and like we just wanted to like kick back, have a couple of laughs, and just like enjoy it. And uh, one of the main characters, Sanka, um, he had short dreads at the time. And being 2016, I, I, I have I have dreadlocks now, and back then I had shorter dreads. And my sister looked at Sanka, looked back at me. She's like, "You guys have same like dreads." I was like, "Okay, so." And she's like. Well, I think you should do bobsled. I was like, that's a weird deduction. How are you going to just, like, do bobs say bobsled from hair? And she's like, no, no, like, everything that they described as a bobsledder is, like, you know, they describe that a bobsledder has to be explosive, has to be fast, and has to be strong. And she's like, I believe that's who you are as, as an athlete. And she's like, yeah, you should do bobsled when you're done playing football. And at that, at that point, I was like, well, I'm not planning to be done playing football anytime soon. So, you know, let's just, like, leave that. And that kind of that thought kind of like sat in the back burner for a couple years, and then kind of fast forwarding back to the Seattle time in Seattle University of Washington, that thought just came back to the front of my mind. I said, you know, well, you know, why don't I look into this bobsled thing? So I did the normal thing and started following some bobsledders on on Instagram to see what they looked like, what you know, what backgrounds they're coming from, and and I just kind of thought about it, prayed about it a little bit, and then one night. Um, in November, I was kind of half asleep, in and out of sleep, and I felt like the word bobsled just hit my forehead, and it just wouldn't come out of my head. And, like, I rolled over, grabbed my iPad, and Googled, you know, like, how do I get on the bobsled team, the Canadian bobsled team? And I saw, like, the testing requirements, and I was like, okay, like, you know, those are, you know, it's a high standard, but I believe that I was close enough to it, and I believe it was attainable for me. So I said, man, let's let's go for this goal. So uh, my sister's a big influence in that, but actually... My best friend Johnny Augustine was as well. So I, I called Johnny, I think it was the next day or the day after, and I was like, bro, like, uh, we were talking about the football thing and how I wanted to, like, stop playing. And I was like, bro, like, I think I want to be a bobsledder. And he just started laughing. He's like, man, you're kidding me. I'm like, no, I'm serious, man. I'm serious. He's like, all right, if you're serious, then you, um, you got to call Coach Lumpston. Um, this is Neil Lumpston, one of the legendary CFL uh, CFL players. He uh, was one of our coaches at the University of Guelph, and uh, so I called Coach Lumpston, and his and his son Jesse Lumpston played in the CFL as well, and was a, a legendary bobsledder. So I called Coach Lumpston. I'm like, hey, like this is kind of what I'm thinking, is what I'm planning. I wanted to ask about Jesse's journey and just kind of, you know, see any advice. And he kind of broke it down for me a little bit, and he's like, man, I think you'd be a you know, your work ethic and, and uh, like, you know, some of the God-gifting abilities that you have. I think you'd be a great bobsledder. And he's like, you know what? This is what you should do. Um, at the time, I was planning on sending an email to the recruiters, the bobsled recruiters, of my combine results from the year before. And Coach Lumpson's like, you know what? Send me that email, and I'll forward it over to Coach Morgan Alexander, one of the high-performance uh, coaches for uh, the Team Canada bobsled. And he did, and Coach Morgan uh, messaged me back two days later, and he's like, hey, let's get on a call t- in two days. So we got on a phone call, and, and he broke, d- broke it down a little bit more what, what bobsled's about and the culture of Team Canada and just, like, everything I need to do for the next steps. So from there, like, one of the biggest things he said is, well, you have to run a 3-9, 30-meter sprint. 
three nine three uh, second thirty meter sprint. Um, we got to do this at one of the regional com- uh, combines that we have, and uh, let's go from like the spring to the to the fall. I moved back to Toronto. I started training for the for the combine back in January while I was still in Seattle. Moved back to Toronto in July. Did the combine, ran ran under the three nine, and got an invite to the to the national team trial a couple months later. So in those uh in those next few months uh, at the national team trial, they kind of test you on again your thirty meter uh, sprint time, your fly thirty meter, your standing broad jump, your underhand med ball throw with a five kilo uh, med ball, and power clean and bench press, and then they test your push testing, like your ability to actually push the sled. So that was all in October of 2019, and I did my tryout there, and that's kind of how I got to being a bobsledder. That's amazing, Orion, and I know you were training very hard. There were many videos I saw on Instagram of you uh, training or on Facebook, so that's really great to hear. And something we've talked about, not on this recording, but off air, was that a lot of bobsledders, they do other sports. So can you maybe speak to that a little bit, how many members of your team are not actually bobsledders from from their young childhood or even teenage days? So one of the things that I, I learned from talking to Coach uh, Lumston and, and Coach Morgan Alexander was that, yeah, bobsled is kind of categorized as a second sport. So what I mean by that is like, you know, especially in, in Canada and hockey, you start playing hockey as soon as you can walk pretty much. You start learning how to skate, you have a stick in your hand from as young as like four years old. And you and if you are planning to be an Olympian or planning to play pro-level hockey, you're playing hockey all the way up until then. But bobsled is, as I said, it's a second sport. A lot of a lot of athletes get into bobsled after they're done their main sport. So those some of those athletes would be football players, track athletes, some hockey players. And uh, actually, there's a, a cyclist who's a part of the team as well. So rugby is also a big one as well. So any any sport that requires you to be fast and explosive and is a little bit gritty, that's where you kind of get that pool bobsled athletes kind of end up in there. So Ryan, thanks for sharing that. Do appreciate you uh, telling us about the different talent pool out there for bobsledding. But my next question is related to just national team in general. As you're on the national team currently... What's some advice you would give to someone who is trying to make the national team in their respective sport? I think the best advice I'd give to someone is uh, keep chopping wood. And what I mean by that is like, I'm a really big imagery guy. If you have a big tree and you have a small, like a a decent sized axe, let's say decent sized axe, and the first chop, the tree's not going to come down. But if you keep chopping, keep chopping, keep chopping, keep chopping, eventually that tree has to come down. So... You know, you might not make the team like the first time you try out, might not even be the second or third or fourth, but you hear so many like stories that people just keep working and keep getting better and keep refining their 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 abilities, refining their training methods, refining what they're trying to do. And eventually that tree comes down and, and once they break through that, they almost like break through like a ceiling and, and go to a different level. Kind of like, I think with guys like, you know, even Michael Jordan, when he got cut from his basketball team, he created a different fire in him. You know what I mean? So keep chopping wood. Don't give up. Keep chopping wood. That's some good advice there, Ryan. And is there like a hashtag you live by? Sounds like hashtag keep chopping wood might be uh, something you live by. But is there any other mantras that you might use when you're trying to prepare here to make the national team? I, I, like, the, I like the hashtag uh, keep chopping wood. 
or just don't don't stop chopping or something. I would have to think about something something funny like that. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to give me royalties on that if you use that on your Instagram. So, <laughs> all right, we're gonna move to segment two here, day to day life. This is a section that I know I find very fascinating as someone in sport, but there are many different roles in sport, obviously, and your role is quite different being on the national team as a bobsledder. So what would you tell us in terms of your day-to-day life, in terms of the training time? What does that look like? And then what does it look like to maybe be in competition as well? Yeah, I'd love to share that. World of bobsled is so unique. It's so unique. I want to talk about kind of in-season first, and then I'll talk about out-of-season after. But kind of in-season, when you're on the road, when you're on tour, kind of day-to-day would be you wake up, you eat breakfast, and let's say if we're, we're sliding on, on the ice in the afternoon, we usually have a workout in the morning. Uh, we're hitting weights, going pretty heavy, like in-season workouts and out-season workouts. Out-of-season workouts are very similar. We're squatting heavy, we're doing heavy power cleans, we're benching heavy, just trying to be strong, strong and powerful. And then after workouts, we'll usually get a quick bite to eat, and then we head to the sled garage, so where they store the sleds close to the hill. And depending on like the, the state your sled's in, you you do a lot of like mechanic work to it. So as a bobsledder, like like no one's no one else is doing like the like the mechanic work for it. Like your your crew, like all four guys, is you working on the sled. It's is you in the sled and that's your baby and you're working on it nonstop. So kind of mechanic work I'm talking about is like, you know, even alignments, aligning the runners, which are the, the blades that the sled rides on on the on the way down. Aligning the runners, greasing the axle polishing runners, fixing any uh, cracks or anything that's in the sled, adding maybe a little bit more padding in the sled, but, <laughs> you know, so stuff like that. So after we, we uh, modify our sleds, the sled truck will come, which is like a pickup truck, and we put the sled into the, into the truck, and we drive up to the top of the hill. We take the sled off of the truck, and then from there, we physically flip the sled over upside down and the stands that we have it on. Uh, we leave it out on just outside of the track. And then if you're sliding that day, you'd start warming up, whether inside and outside. Uh, there's not a lot of space to do it inside. So inside is more quick mobility stuff like cat camel, quick band work, maybe maybe quick stretching or you might have a, uh, one of your teammates help stretch you out. And then you usually head out outside for all your dynamic work, right? Because as you push the slide, you're running. So you have to do a lot of dynamic exercises, get your prime movers going, Get your body primed to actually explode out and to push this heavy, heavy piece of equipment, which the two man's 107 kilo, 170 kilos down a hill. So you warm up, and after you're done warming up, you get back inside. You make sure you put on your uh, your jumpsuit or a super suit, and then you get ready and, and get ready to go. Uh, if you're not if you're not sliding that day, you're helping everyone move the sleds to the start block. Um, and making sure if like your pilot needs anything or any of the crewmen who are sliding that you're there to help them out. So kind of after we're done sliding, like, after we're done doing our two or three runs, whatever amount it is that day, then we pack up the sled again, flip it back over, put it in the sled truck, bring it back down, flip the sled back over in the sled garage, strip the sled to so take all the runners off because it's, it's snowy and like, um, there's ice on it, and you don't want it to melt and rust the runners, right? So we take all the runners off, we dry everything off, we put away the tools, 
do quick check over the sled, see if anything can be fixed right then, and just look at, re reassess and see what condition the sled's in. And then from there, we go eat dinner, and if it's race day the next day, we're there polishing grinders with, with sandpaper, which could be up to an hour, two hours, like polishing grinders, getting ready. Uh, we might be doing video review at the end of that night um, or early in the, the next morning. And yeah, that's like the, the day in life. So like your days can, um, there's been days I've woken up at like 5.30 in the morning and didn't go to bed until 11.30. There's days that, it can be quite long days. It's, it's a little bit of a grind, but I enjoy it. I love it. So that's what in-season looks like. Yeah, outer season, currently work for York Region District School Board as an intervention support worker. So I work with kids with autism spectrum disorder and help them go through their individual education plans. So uh, out of season, what my life kind of looks like, I, I wake up at around like seven o'clock each day, get my breakfast in, pack my lunch. Then I, I go off to school. I do what I do in school with, uh, with, my, with the students I work with. And then I go straight from school to the training facility. Uh, which is in, in Toronto for me, which is uh, Layler Performance Performance Systems. And then I train for about two hours, some days two and a half hours, depending on the volume of the day. And that's a lot of heavy heavy squatting, heavy power clean, sprinting, benching, pull-ups, chin-ups, anything you can imagine, like heavy stuff to get you explosive. And then I go back home, eat, sleep, repeat. I have physio. Uh, I have physio once a week or so, just to kind of maintain my body. Well, that's uh, it's interesting to hear just the difference between the in season, out of season, and for you, Orion, how is the prep? You mentioned this a little bit with the video work, but how does the prep look like for bobsled compared to football? Because you've had to prepare for both. What would a difference between preparing for a race day for bobsledding look like compared to preparing for a Saturday game? Uh, in the OUA for football? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Theo. I think with football, it's, it's a lot more film study, to be honest. Football, you have your own set of plays. Uh, you got to be watching film of the receiver you're, you're, you're covering. You got to be watching film of, of certain tendencies and, and um, trying to guess plays as well. But with bobsled, we do watch film of how we're actually making contact with the sled, how we're making contact together, how we're loading into the sled and foreman and making sure everything's smooth there, but it's not as much there. And then kind of the difference between game day and race day. Game day you game day with football, you want to be you want to be excited, you want to be hyped a little bit, but not too much. It's cuz if you're if you're too much then you're not thinking straight and you know, we're playing a uh, you're playing a game for about almost two and a half hours. So uh, yes, there's stoppages and stuff, but you can't keep that energy for that long. You want to, but you, you can't. It's not realistic. It's, that's exhausting on the body. But with bobsled, you kind of, it's a lot more in, intense, like all out, like five seconds of, of pushing and that's it. And then you're in the sled and you're, and you're as a brakeman, you're holding on for dear life. And as a pilot, you're thinking about all the turns and stuff. So there's a little bit difference, different between brakeman and, and pilots as well. But as a brakeman, you know, you do the same kind of warm-up we do in, like, training day. Uh, make sure everything's loose, but everything's prepped and ready to go. But then when you start getting inching closer and closer to the time, you're, you're visualizing how you're going to hit the sled, how you're going to move the sled, and then you start kind of getting amped up. So you want to have, like, that music going that you want to 
almost that 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 feeling like I could run through a brick wall right now and like I I don't care. Like you want to be so amped up and like a little bit wired. You know, you, you want to be I started taking pre-workout this year, it's kind of low foreign to me. So you you kind of a little more amped up, a little more ready to go, got that fire in your bones. And you know, you get to the you get to the line, you get to the the starting block, uh whether you're doing two man or four man, you're with your team. Your arms are kind of crossed and you're just kind of, you're zoned in and you're, you're feeling, to be honest, you're feeling a little bit like an animal. Like I feel a little animalistic. You got a couple growls in there and, and just, you know, you're getting ready to go. You're getting ready to fire it up. And I, I kind of love that difference, that, that contrast between football and, and bobsled. You kind of get aspects of that when you hit someone in football, but it's like that all the time for bobsled. Like that five seconds you're pushing, you're pushing lights out and then you're in. So... Yeah, for those listening at home right now or wherever you're listening to this podcast, hopefully you're just as amped up as I am because I'm I'm just amped up hearing you being amped up here, Orion. Hopefully you didn't take some pre-workout before this podcast. <laughs> but you're definitely excited and that's awesome to hear. But within your competition day or out-of-season days, are there parts of your day that you maybe find super enjoyable and then maybe some that you find a bit more menial and just a bit more I gotta do this because it's a routine and not necessarily something you fully enjoy definitely I'd say polishing runners polishing runners uh <laughs> like it's it's often as I mentioned before it's often you do like uh late at not late at night but like near the end of the day you're kind of tired you're kind of maybe a little hungry and you're just there you're just kind of polishing runners with with your teammates, it's fine. You play music. Sometimes you watch a movie while doing it, but it's it's a little bit mundane. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like you're you're going down and you're and like as I mentioned, you're using sandpaper, and it's not just like one piece of sandpaper. You're using almost twenty different pieces of sandpaper, twenty different grades, and some grades are going over three times. And and you hope that there isn't any um, scratches in the runner because you might be going over that thing for a while. So. It's, I'd say polishing runners can be a little mundane, a little bit like, oh, like, you got to polish runners tonight type of thing. Other, other parts that I enjoy. Besides running through a brick wall, of course, because it sounds like that's, uh, that's a thing you very much enjoy is the race. Are there any parts of the training or anything like that that you find enjoyable? I, I love being in the gym. I love, I love training in the gym. A, lo- a lot of guys were are there are are strong cats strong cats on my team and and we constantly pushing each other in the gym is a great atmosphere so i i kind of like that compared to football where football you kind of like we're still lifting in season but we're not really hitting any new prs we're not really doing anything like that because we're trying to lift to maintain our 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 summer workouts and maintain our bodies but we're in bobsled we're just trying to always get better so we're lifting heavy we're we're, we're making new PRs during the season, and um, we're just really getting after that. So definitely, definitely lifting together is great, and it's a great, uh, really camaraderie there as well. Yeah, I imagine just training with those guys, long days, polishing those runners is going to definitely build your bond. Maybe you get some musical taste in there as well. So Ryan, um, I just want to know a little bit more about race day. Because I know for different sports, everybody has their own preparation routine. With football, you're going to have your warm-up. In hockey, there's a skate-through. In basketball, there's a shoot-around for warm-up, things like that. 
So what would race day and warm-up kind of look like for you? Yeah, race day. So race day, let's say we're racing at 1 o'clock. We'd probably get to, we'd get to the hill around, I'd say close to like 11 at the latest. And why I say 11, there's something called Park for May, which means like the, it means park is closed. So the sled will be the sled will be flipped over, and the run, the race runners will be put on there at the track. Will be put on there at the track, and no one can touch the sled for about twenty minutes. So as I said, if race racing time is one one p.m. and park for May will probably be around twelve twelve twenty, and then you wouldn't be able to touch the sled until twelve forty. We'd be there at eleven o'clock. So yeah, so like you, we'd flip the sled. Park for May would happen. As Park for May is happening, you're warming up, getting ready. One o'clock is, is race time. We'll have our start order from before, so you know if we're first off or 10th off the list. So you can kind of gauge where to warm up and when to warm up. And then from there, you're, you go. So it's not as long as a wait period compared to football, where I remember football game, day, game time would be 1 o'clock, and we'd be in the change room from like around 9.30, 10 o'clock, and then you're slowly, slowly getting warmed up and everything like that. So it's, uh, it's a little bit less than that. It's more, of a, it's more of a track workout. It's a little bit quicker, and your, your primary movers and getting ready to go. Sounds good. Thanks for uh, sharing that, Orion. We're going to move into segment three here, misconceptions about your position or role in the sport world. So oftentimes, the general public who aren't in the sport world or they've never experienced it, they maybe have a certain view of what a job or day-to-day life in that role might look like. This is something that I'm really interested in, and I know you as an athlete as well are interested in this topic. So what are some misconceptions you think maybe about bobsledding in general, and then perhaps about being a national team member? Maybe it's not all glitz and glam as people think. What are some misconceptions you may have heard about what you do. So, I kind of, kind of the first misconception I could think of is uh so the only people who only person who steers the bobsled is the pilot. So, a lot of people think that the the crew in the back are leaning into the corners and doing all sorts of things like that. No, we're actually just getting as low as possible, trying to make ourselves as wide as possible and not move at all. We're just extra weight and so we're trying to be very still and not move. So we're not leaning towards any corners. We actually can't see anything. We're just honestly looking at the bottom of the slide the whole time, which is, which is scary for some people, but I, I love it. Some other misconceptions as a, a national team athlete, I know I kind of, I know I kind of described like my journey to becoming a national team athlete with bobsled, but it's a, it's, it's very competitive. It's very competitive. Um, I, I came from a competitive background, so that's kind of why I had some of that grace in that, in that success. But, you know, a lot of – some people I, I tried out with, they, they got cut from the team, right? It's, uh, they, weren't, uh, weren't, they weren't selected, and that was hard on them. And it's, it's uh, you know, changes do happen during – before race day. Like, people will – coaches will decide, you know what, we want you to race with, with you, with a different crew, with a different pilot, so – yeah, that's real. Kind of with the day-to-day and stuff like that, I think, I, as I mentioned, I, I do have another job, and I, I work for York Region, as I mentioned before, which I, I love my job, and it's great. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the reality of it. We don't, 
as a national team member, we're not making millions. We're not uh, taking in a, a huge amount. Like we get a, a little bit of a siphon from the from the government, but that's quite it. And there's actually a stat that a lot of uh, a lot of Olympians, a lot of national team members, they they're actually living below the poverty line. Wow. Yeah. So it's that's a reality. It, it costs money to do the sport. It costs even more money if you want to be a pilot. But yeah, I, I say I say it's worth it. I I enjoy it. I love it, and and I, I love being able to represent uh, Canada and represent my country. No, that's sweet. And you definitely see perhaps the high profile athletes, like let's say an Andre DeGrasse, and you see him with the promotions, and you're like, oh, all the national team members must must be like him and get a lot of endorsements and things, but. That's definitely not the case in a lot of sports. So it's good to hear you kind of debunk some of those misconceptions there. And what's something maybe you didn't know about? I'm sure there are a lot of things you didn't know about bobsled before, but what's something that stood out to you that you didn't know about bobsled before you joined the team? Something that really just affected you or maybe rocked your world a little bit? Like, whoa, this is something that um, I'm having to learn. So one thing is kind of... Some people would say is is a curse, but I think it's a real big blessing. Um, I didn't realize how much sled work we actually had to do on the sled. So I learned a lot about tools, a lot about um, the mechanics of it, and like being able to like I was decent with tools, but I got a lot better with tools and and actually being able to fix things, actually being able to to be good, better with my hands. I'm not good with it yet, but better with my hands. So. I know a lot of people may think that it's like, oh, it's like, it's like NASCAR. It's like, you know, or Formula One that you have a crew that comes, fixes everything. You just get in the sled and you just drive it or you ride down in it. No, you're doing it all yourself. We're like, we're fixing it all ourselves. And, you know, one third of the sport is, is your equipment. You know, like that's, that's a huge part of the sport. If you have good equipment and your equipment's taken care of, like you will most likely do better. So it's uh it's something that's stressed upon in in the team's culture and it's very important and also i think another thing is like uh crashing happens more more often than you think it's uh that's one thing i didn't talk about yeah but crashing happens more often than you think and it's, it's not yes it can be dangerous but it's not as bad as you think oh ryan how did you get over sort of your fear if there was any um as you described it kind of shocked me a little bit there uh, you're facing down in the sled. You're not seeing where you're going. How does how did you get over that? Because I'm sure most general human beings do not volunteer to do that in their day to day life. Yeah. How do I how do I get over that? I just I just kind of hopped in the sled. I my my pilot was a first year pilot, which helped which helped a lot. So we started from a lower start. So we didn't start from the top of the hill. We started from start three, which is the loose start. So. I kind of got eased in a little bit. So the first time I went down, I, I loved it. I was like, man, this is, this is fun. It's like a, it's like a really fast water slide, right? <laughs> if it's smooth ride, it feels like a real fast water slide. But yeah, you just kind of like, you, you go down and, you, and you're like, okay, well, this is it. And funny because like during the season before like our, um, I was with my crewmates, a lot of my crewmates are brand new to the sport as well. And one thing I said is that, you know, we're, we're kind of too deep in the cut to just kind of be like, no, this isn't for me. So <laughs> meaning that, like, you know, I, I, um, I both invested both too much time and money to just turn back now. And thank God I enjoyed it. 
Because, like, uh, I remember the first time it came out, I was amped up. as a crazy adrenaline rush. And, and you're just, you know, that's kind of one thing. You're just looking forward, the, forward for that adrenaline rush. So I guess I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junk, junkie there, so. Yeah, you did mention that with a little pre-workout, so it sounds like that is a common theme there for you, Ryan. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on to the last segment, segment four, rapid fire. So I'm going to give you uh, some questions, and you're just going to answer with whatever comes to mind. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. All right, let's do it. So the first one is, name your top three favorite sports teams and athletes of all time. I'll start with athletes. Top three athletes is going to be Ed Reed, uh, Baltimore Baltimore free safety. Uh, I believe he's a he's a goat of free safeties. <laughs> uh, yes, I do put him above Troy Palmolo. Uh, he he was just a he was just a dog on the field. Like he just roamed the field. Like like he put fear in quarterbacks' eyes. Like and in offensive coordinators' eyes. Like uh, you could even hear uh, Bill Belichick talk about Ed Reed like circling that week when they had to play the Baltimore Ravens because he was such a such a presence there. I just loved his mentality. He's he's intense. He's he's on fire. He's he's excited. Next one is, is Ray Lewis. I got I gotta say Ray Lewis with Ed Reed. They're, they're just a dynamic duo. Um, Ray Lewis is I think even just off the field, like he's just, he, you know he's like you know if you want to get do something with your life, you want to want to get something out of it, you gotta work. And he's all about the hard work, and I love that as well. And my last one, I think I have to go with Kobe, man. Uh, R.P. Kobe. But uh, I loved his mumba mentality. Is is that you know, whole chopping wood? You know, don't stop. I even, I even like when you hear old interviews and you hear about. Um, I remember one interview, interview where is when he was on the Olympic team and uh, I forget who was talking about it. But he asked one of the, the therapists to, or something to to rebound for him, and he was in the gym an hour before the therapist came. And this is at like four thirty in the morning, and he's just shooting, 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 and he put up so many shots and then he stopped and he like he he called it uh i want to say he called it a day but he came back you know a little bit later for a team practice and then for his own then to shoot again and just kind of that mentality you know like i'm just going to outwork you and i'm just going to outwork you and i'm going to just tap into that potential and be the best person i could be i guess like one person i have to shout out is definitely tim tebow uh you know he's super authentic with his faith and he had Hear stories about him at University of Florida, and like he is—he was a dog as well. Top three teams, top three teams. Shout out definitely to Toronto Raptors. It's definitely uh, you know hometown. I, I've been watching Raptors since I can remember. You're a day one. You're a day one. Yeah, I'm, I'm a day one. I, I was born. Yeah, a lot of people say that, but I think you are one of those day ones, yeah, right? I was, I was born a year before the Raptors came out. They came out in '95. I was born in '94. Uh, I was there for insanity. I was there for Bosch. I was there for the dreaded uh, Jose Calderon years. And hey, hey, Jose! Jose was a good player. <laughs> uh, I'm a little indifferent on that, but like I was there for the tough years when we we weren't making playoffs, and then you know, of course, the DeRozan and the and when Kyle Lowry came, and and obviously the 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 huge run we had last year. Another another team is Baltimore Ravens, as I mentioned before. They've been a big football team for me ever since I started loving football. And then, yeah, I think last team, I'm going to say, hey, let's shout out to the Seattle Seahawks, you know, like they, they're, they're a good team too. So I'll, I'll put them in there. All right. Sounds good. So I know this one's going to be hard for you to answer, but I need you to tell me your fit. Your, you can only give me one though. 
your favorite sports memory of all time. So either you were involved in it or you watched it, but your favorite sports memory of all time. Hit me with it. My favorite one of all time. I'm going to be only selfish here. Is the 2015 Yates Cup. Definitely the favorite of all time. Uh, to kind of paint the picture, uh, we went 7-1 for that year. Actually, only back up. That was, my, that was my junior year of school, so being my third year. The, my first two years went 7-1. My first year, we got knocked out in the semifinals. My second year, we went to the Yates Cup, which is the Ontario Provincial Championships. We played against Mac. We lost by five points. Mac went on to, uh, to beat Mount Allison in the semifinals by like 30 points, and then they lost to Montreal by a point. So we like to say we're six points away from being Vandy Cup champions that year, which was <laughs> heartbreaking. It was, it was tough. I, and I watched, my, watched uh, some of those fifth-year and fourth-year guys cry after losing that game. Fun fact, that the game defense did not let up a touchdown on, on either side. It was, all, it was one off of all field goals and one pick for six on, uh, on Mac's side. Both teams are really good. And then kind of leading up to this Yates Cup year, we went 7-1 again. I was, I was starting that year. We were just on fire as a team. And the only team that we didn't play yet that year was, was Western Mustangs. And I know you're a Western alumni, but I know you're also a Guelph alumni as well. Yeah, I'm both. <laughs> <laughs> so we went, into, we went into Western. Western was undefeated, 8-0. Oh. We were 7-1, so it was at Western, at their home field. Uh, statistically, that year they had the best offense. They had their quarterback, Will Finch. Actually, he was he's concussed that game. So, oh, it was Stevenson Bone. Stevenson Bone played that game. Yeah, Stevenson Bone was playing that game. And you know, statistically, they had the best offense, and there's so much hype around them, and yada yada yada. And it was just a, it was literally like a, a fight. Like each each play was like a boxing match. Like. Like, you know, receivers were pushing DBs, DBs were pushing receivers, like, like crack blocks going everywhere. Like, it was a, a fight in the trenches, and, like, it was, it was crazy. And I think we went into halftime, and they're up 14-7 or something like that. And we just kind of looked around, and Coach, and Coach Lang at the time, he legendary Coach Lang, he's like, hey, like, like we got to stay in this. We got this. Like, I believe in every single one of you guys, and... Even the night before, he he t- he gave us a team speech and like he just like he just shared how much he loved us and like he saw everyone in the room like tearing up a little bit and everyone's like yo we will not like we're not losing this game tomorrow like we don't care what happens this is like this is ours to win and you know the game came down to the wire we ended up I think we ended up winning seventeen fourteen and. Yeah, the game came down to the wire. Last 10 seconds, they were marching on us, marching on us. Um, they were at our 10-yard line, and Stevenson Bone actually rolls out to the strong side, which is where I'm on. And then I think he backs back up, goes to the weak side, throws a, throws a pass, um, and then my boy Royce Mechie, uh, who's a free safety uh, Cal- for the Calgary Stampeders now, came down and laid the boom. Hit the receiver, game's done, ball pops out, and then everyone just rushes to their field. And like and like it's just it was just so surreal. I was like, man, like we're Yates Cup champions. I'm like we just won the Yates Cup. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. And like it's just a goal that we've been just like, as I was saying, chop wood. 
You know, we're, we're climbing that mountain and we kept chopping wood. We had setbacks, we kept chopping wood and we just kept going and going and going. And like, you know, we, we broke through that barrier. And like, as this uh, uh, amazing moment and for me and the team to become a champion of that and have a, a big part of that as well. And you'll definitely be able to, to forever have that in your legacy as a, as a Griffin. So that's uh, great to hear. We're going to shift gears now, Orion. This is going to be um, some off-the-wall questions now. Mm-hmm. So if you had one last meal to eat, what would it be? So you got to look at the appetizers, the main course, dessert, and drink. What would they be? Okay, appetizers. I, I actually really like calamari as an appetizer. Like, I, I love calamari, um, deep-fried calamari. I'll, I'll do that, uh, deep-fried calamari. Main course. I'm going to have, uh, I am Jamaican, so I'm going to have uh, oxtail and rice and peas made by my grandma. I'm not going to say which one. <laughs> you don't want to pick favorites here. Yeah, I'm not going to pick favorites, but it's made by my grandma. I got a big old plate of that. Dessert. Okay, dessert's going to be, dessert's going to be a little morbid here. Okay, so I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with some chocolate cheesecake uh, with some caramel and some, and some strawberries. Uh, but since we're saying it's my last meal, I'm going to have to have some sort of nuts on it, which I'm allergic to. So, <laughs> so it truly will be my last meal. So I'm going to put, I don't know, some walnuts or something like that on there. Like, yeah. Personally, I love cashews, but I don't know if those goes well with uh, with cheesecake. But I'll, I'll put something like that on there and just, like, you know, eat it and let my throat close up. So <laughs> There you go. But you got to drink before that. So what, what are you drinking before? No, I, I, I'm a water guy, to be honest. Like, I'll go water the, the lemon and just, you know, a nice refreshing water, though. Before your throat seizes up. Yeah, before my throat seizes up, right there. Sounds good. All right, I'm going to give you a chance right now to put on a concert in your backyard. You're allowed to book any band or artist in history of the world. You got to pick three and the order in which they play. Okay, so this, uh, this might be... It's really a little bit weird genres, I guess, but... The eclectic mix is okay, my friend. Okay. I'm going to have Leon Bridges first. Because I, I, I don't know, I love Leon Bridges. He just has, like, you know, he has, like, the old, like, 50, 50s vibe to it, but he's not. So I'll play Leon Bridges first. I'm going to go Michael Jackson. You know, R.I.P. Michael Jackson second. And then I'm going to go with my boy, Ishan Burgundy, Christian hip-hop artist. Third, last to close it off. Um, you know, if you bring some of that, you know, bring some of that word to it. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going with. All right. I like the eclectic mix. You're not the only person to have answered that way. So it's good to hear a little bit of uh, different genres here and there, you know. So what would you say, this question five here, what would you say is the best advice you've ever received from a coach or from a mentor i'm gonna go from uh my coach coach uh, forsyth who was my db coach my last year of university at uh, the university of guelph he's he's very wise and one thing he always said is you know keep the main thing the main thing and what i think he means by that is you know, you know know your why you know after after sport like you know, even football after bobsled, like that's, you know, that's one small piece of life. You know, they still have a whole, whole lot of life to live after that. And you can't put like your identity or your worth just in that sport. So um, definitely keep the main thing, the main thing. That's what I want to say. 
Yeah, you did mention that earlier in the interview in terms of being on the national team and kind of just like enjoying your work outside of it. So it's good to hear that um, as an athlete, you have other things to focus on as well, because I know that can be easily very consuming to just think about sport the whole time and not kind of have a holistic view of what your life could look like. Yeah, yeah. And then you start thinking of yourself as only an athlete. You're, you're more than an athlete, right? So, Ryan, our last question here. If you could be any position on any team in any sport, what would it be? I definitely would love to be on the 4x4. This is a little bit weird, but I'd love to be on the 4x4 team with the Jamaican 4x4 team with Usain Bolt handing him the baton as he goes to be the anchor of it. I'm, I don't have much of a track background, but I'd love to do that. I think that would be a sweet experiment, uh, experience. So, yeah, that would be, that'd be a go-to. That wraps up our show. If our audience wants to find out more about you, Ryan, where can they find you? Yeah, I think the best thing you can do is follow me on Instagram um, at O underscore E-D-D-Y 7. It's O underscore E-D-D-Y 7. So O E D Y 7. That's your nickname there, O Eddie, and I'll leave that information in the show description. Uh, Orion, I do appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for your time and sharing about your journey into bobsled. I wish you all the best with that, and uh, thanks for coming out. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Theo Warren, rower for Boston University. Hear about his story of how he got recruited to Boston University and the training regimen it takes to be a varsity rower. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at the channel Juan and Only Sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.